All right, welcome back to another episode of Creedal Catholic. I'm very excited today to bring to you a very special guest, uh, a member of the College of Bishops. Uh, this is Bishop Donald Hying. He's joining me from Madison, Wisconsin, where he is, in fact, the Bishop of Madison. Bishop Hying, welcome to Creedal Catholic. Thank you so much, Zach. It's a joy and honor to be on your show with you. Well, I'm very excited to have you here. It was just sort of a happenstance that I, I, I reached out to you, but I always appreciate when bishops are actively involved in public life in the sense that they are um, they're helping to catechize and form Catholics about how Catholics need to behave in the public sphere, how Catholics' faith and our membership in the mystical body of Christ, that is the church, should inform our public action and more, more precisely in this context, in this conversation, our political action. And it was a, a few weeks ago that you wrote on Twitter, and I'm going to read the tweet right here. The gospel is not political, but it has political implications. The church cannot be reduced to a party or an interest group. Faith gives us the freedom to be human and Christian, children of God. This is our deepest identity before all else. Resist the politicization of everything. And I thought you hit the nail on the head in the you know 280 characters that you're allotted or whatever it is on Twitter there, Bishop. Uh, and so I reached out to you and thought, this, this would probably be, be a great starting point for a conversation on this podcast. And so I'm very, very grateful to you for, uh, for being willing to do this. And uh, I want to thank you for your time. No, absolutely. It was a great connection. Thanks for reaching out to me. I'm always happy to talk about matters of faith. You know, it's part of the commission we receive through baptism, just to speak the truth that Christ has given us. So thanks for the platform. Absolutely, Bishop. No, thank you. Uh, I'm going to give a, just a brief bio in your background here so our, my listeners can understand a little bit about where you're coming from, and then we'll, we'll dive into some of the questions I have for you. Uh, so Bishop Donald Joseph Hying is the youngest of six sons, uh, a true Wisconsin son as well, born in West Allis, Wisconsin in 1963. You were ordained a priest on May 20th, 1989 for the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, had several uh, parish assignments um, there in and around Milwaukee. Eventually, in 2007, you were appointed the rector of St. Francis de Sales Seminary by Timothy Michael Dolan, who went on to become, of course, the Archbishop of New York, at the time, the Archbishop of Milwaukee. And then on May 26, 2011, Pope Benedict XVI, who we are big fans of on this podcast, Bishop, uh, appointed Father oh, Donald Hying, the titular Bishop of Reggie, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, I believe so. Okay. Right. And auxiliary bishop <laughs> of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. So uh, started out as an auxiliary bishop of Milwaukee. Um, and then in November of 2014, you were appointed bishop of Gary, Indiana, uh, installed there in January of 2015. And then in April of 2019, Pope Francis appointed Bishop Hying, the fifth bishop of Madison, Wisconsin. And you were installed there in June of 2019. Did I miss anything there, Bishop? No, that's it. A lot of moving around as I listen to the narration of it, right? Absolutely. But it sounds like you've spent a lot of time in the Midwest. Yeah, absolutely. Midwesterner through and through. Yeah, that's uh, that's my wife as well. My wife's family is all uh, um, Illinois and Michigan. So we spend lots of uh, okay. lots of time in the Midwest on on uh, you know holidays at that time of year. Yeah, yeah very good. That's a great place to be. Well, thank you, Bishop. Thanks for joining me. And since we have limited time here, I'd like to just dive right into the conversation here and some of the questions I have. We're, we're in an age and, and we're recording this conversation the day after the first presidential debate between uh, Trump and uh, Biden. And I didn't watch the debate, Bishop, uh, but I've seen some of the reaction afterwards. And quite frankly, I'm glad I didn't watch the debate because it, it seems like there was not a, not, a, not a lot of constructive conversation that was going on there. And one of the things that I've been disappointed in is how we often just sort of reduce 
um, our Catholic identity to an either or you have to vote for this person um, and you cannot vote for this person or on the other side, you have to vote for this person and you cannot vote for this person. And I think, you know, as I look at this, the conclusion that I have come to personally as a Catholic in this election cycle is that I will not be casting a vote. And maybe the first question I have for you, Bishop, because I, when I when I voice this uh, this opinion to my friends, I often get pushed back that, you know, you have to, you have to cast a vote. That's, that's one way that we are responsible citizens. So maybe the first question I have for you, Bishop, in your view, does a Catholic have an obligation to cast a vote for a candidate? I would say a Catholic has the obligation to discern whether to vote and who to vote for. But in the document of faithful citizenship, which the United States Bishops Conference has offered every four years, you know, to help form consciences regarding voting and elections in light of Catholic teaching. There is a paragraph that says a Catholic can, in good conscience, come to the conclusion that none of the candidates running are, are worthy of one's vote, and therefore not voting actually becomes a, a legitimate option um, in discernment and prayer. So I, I would say that's a legitimate choice, but it should be done um, consciously, not simply out of apathy. You know, I just didn't vote because I didn't take the time. Absolutely. So it should never be, I didn't vote because I don't particularly care about voting or care about civic engagement. Rather, yeah. I didn't vote because neither of these alternatives were acceptable to me as, as someone I could, you know, vote in the positive for. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and I just think in the United States, our founding fathers never envisioned a two-party system that would so dominate our common life and our political process. You know, so I think most of us would say neither party, you know, fully represents us, and neither party fully represents you know the, the teachings of the church. So, you know, in a recent uh, reflection on voting, I spoke about abortion as the preeminent issue in this election. And that word preeminent was consciously chosen by the U.S. bishops last year in anticipation of this moment. And the word means something significant. It, it's saying that it's the primary issue, but it's not the only issue. And also that um, we need to take into our awareness that, you know, if we're going to vote for somebody that holds a morally illicit position on a significant issue, i.e. abortion, there has to be a, some very pressing moral evil to allow us to do that. And so I just kind of lay out in my letter that, you know, in light of the snuffing out of 63 plus million lives since Roe v. Wade, I can't think of an equivalent a moral evil that would counterbalance that. So in the letter, I just said, I personally can't vote for somebody who is pro-abortion. Many people have interpreted that as me saying, you should vote for Trump. Um, I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm never going to delve into um, party or candidate. Yeah, and, but that's, that's the tension we live as U.S. Catholics, because we're essentially, in many ways, politically homeless. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Bishop, and I appreciate what you're saying about, you know, how that is the preeminent issue. And that is why I personally, again, just speaking for myself, have come to the conclusion that I will not vote for the Democratic ticket in this election because mm -hmm. the Democratic ticket stand, and the, the party itself at this point in time stands so 
firmly uh, on the side of abortion mm-hmm. and advocating abortion rights and making abortion access um, cheap. Um, you know, it, it used to be the axiom, and, and I've podcasted about this before, it used to be the axiom that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. And I think now we're seeing language of the Democratic Party shift, and certainly Democratic Party politicians shift to making abortion safe, legal, and good. So we, we declare it to be mm-hmm. an unqualified good. And I, I certainly cannot vote for someone in good conscience who is advocating for those positions or even allowing those those positions to exist in in the party with which he or she identifies. So I completely agree with you there. Right. I think, you know, my and, and I've, I've received pushback on this as well from other friends, right, who say I'm focusing on one singular issue to the detriment mm-hmm. of all the other policy issues. And there are certainly policy issues with which I agree with um, with candidates, uh, Biden and, you know, to some degree, to a lesser degree, I think, but to some degree, Harris. Um, but, you know, the 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 counter example or the sort of analogy I use is, uh, you know, and I say this to my friends, right? If um, if there was a candidate who was running who uh, was a slave owner, you certainly wouldn't vote for them. Right. Even if you agree with them mm-hmm. on virtually every other policy position under the sun, mm-hmm. if they were a slave owner, you wouldn't vote for them. Right. Uh, you also, I think, wouldn't vote for them if they they personally weren't a slave owner, but they said, I support the rights of others to mm-hmm. to own slaves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I when I cast it in sort of really stark terms like that, I think it highlights how serious of an issue this issue of abortion should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side of that. Right. And and you mentioned this in your letter, Bishop, that some people thought you were saying vote for Trump. Right. The, the reason that right. I'm not voting for Trump is that I think there are um, certain very serious um, moral disqualifiers um, in the character of Donald Trump. And I'm not asking you to comment on, on that claim in particular, but in mm-hmm. general, how, you know, I guess what's the bar for a candidate having these sort of disqualifiers, either on their policy positions or in their character for a Catholic to reach the position that uh, I can't in good conscience vote for this person. Yeah, I certainly think there's some subjective discernment involved in, in such a decision. You know, certainly many Catholics will vote for Trump based on his pro-life um, efforts, you know, on behalf of restricting abortion, uh, funding the Planned Parenthood, you know, certainly being supportive of uh, the pro-life cause. Um, people may come to a decision saying that there's other factors, though, that just lead me in conscience to say I cannot vote for uh, this person, um, you know, that's certainly up to each individual. But again, I go back to the statement where a Catholic can, in good conscience, come to the point of saying, "I simply cannot vote for either major candidate." You know, so so there's people that vote, you know, third party or a write-in, or just come to the conclusion that they they really can't uh, vote at all. But it leaves us with um, just a profound distress at the reduction in our politics, you know, regarding what I would call human anthropology. And I think so many of the issues that face us today are really a misunderstanding and a distortion of who the human person is. So for us as Catholics, you know, clearly we see the human person as made in the image and likeness of God, um, redeemed by Christ you know, anointed by the Holy Spirit as we enter into that relationship with God. And even those who do not, who do not believe, who do not practice faith, they are still made in the image and likeness of God. So there's a a human dignity that each person has simply by the fact that they are. And our rights then flow from God, not from the state. 
and how we treat each other really flows out of that that sense of natural law that God has placed within our heart uh, an ability to understand who we are and how we live together and seek the common good. And I think our politics today has become so toxic that all of that has been lost in many, many ways. Yeah, and and your comments there, Bishop, made me think a couple of things. One, you know, we, we just talked about reaching this conclusion sometimes in good conscience that you cannot vote for either candidate. I, I think you mentioned third-party voting is a great way to exercise mm-hmm. your, your civic uh, duty in, an, in a responsible way. I mean, as we've already said, abstaining from voting can also be an exercise of civic duty, but it has to be undertaken responsibly and consciously, um, intentionally. I also think down-ballot voting is immensely important, right? Mm-hmm. Because these, um, the, the, our national elections are really, really driven, and often our statewide elections, very, very driven by the the sort of partisan identities and the mm-hmm. the hot-button issues that separate the parties in that sense. Not always the case for our, our local elections, right? I mean, uh, even voting mm-hmm. for your uh, for your school board can, um, can, can make a big difference in your communities, and I would encourage every Catholic listener to think about that. But, but another thing that it made me think about is uh, I, I read last year um, Charles Camozzi's book, Resisting Throwaway Culture. And um, Camozzi is a, a Catholic moral philosopher who um, has been on the board of Democrats for life for, I think, years. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's still current info, but it, he at least was at one point. And I think when, when I had him on our other podcast, he was. And he made some really, um, really good points in his book just about re- resisting the, the sort of binary breakdown of that. And what needs to be at the center of every Catholic's political theology is that idea of human dignity and how every mm-hmm. every man and woman is made in the image of God. And man and woman, of course, being age inclusive, right? Everyone who's, mm-hmm. you know, for everyone from natural conception to 100 years old, uh, really to natural mm-hmm. death, right? Everyone enjoys that human dignity by virtue of the very fact that they are human, not by virtue of the fact right. that the government gives it to them or that, or that their parents decided to award it to them, et cetera. It's, it's not dependent on any of that. And, and I really think that we need a better way to return to that understanding, to integrate that understanding of the human person mm-hmm. into our politics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so today, I mean, we just see this ever-growing tribalism, you know, where people have absolutized, you know, one thing or, or several things you know, to the detriment of the whole. And when you look at Catholic social teaching, you know, even if one didn't believe in God, Catholic social teaching would still be a beautiful way to organize our common life together, you know, in looking at the dignity of the person, rights and responsibilities, solidarity with the marginalized, you know, the dignity of, of work, um, the meaning of marriage and family, I mean, it's, it's a way for human beings to flourish, and that's what God desires for us, is human flourishing. And I think when we look at just the complete bifurcation of our politics and just how toxic, toxic it's become, you know, we see how everything is so diminished, and we never even get to the point of being able to, to speak about those larger issues or embrace a vision that holds it all together. And I think there you see the, the crisis that happens when God is taken out of a culture or a society because we quickly lose our humanity when we lose our relationship with God. And um, that's difficult in our secular society to even communicate or help people to understand. You know, what, what is a common moral vision 
So you can't even have a conversation about moral issues because people will immediately reject any assertion of, of morality or ethics. Yeah, and, and those comments, Bishop, make me think about the recent nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And we are, as we're recording this, her confirmation hearings have not yet begun. They probably will not have begun by the time uh, by the time I publish this episode. Mm-hmm. But but I think that we've already seen a lot of conversations, you know, about the place of religion in public life. Uh, should the mm-hmm. faith of Judge Barrett um, mm-hmm. be uh, be up for questioning on her confirmation hearings, right? And uh, mm-hmm. you know, the con- the Constitution has an explicit um, provision against any sort of religious test for holders of federal office. So. Um, in that sense, it shouldn't. But I actually I tend to incline towards this other side, which says, you know, let's let's make those questions fair game. Not in the sense that um, that her her adherence to the Catholic faith should be any, in any way disqualifying, but rather let's bring discussions of faith mm-hmm. into the uh, into the chambers of the U.S. Senate because I think we should have those conversations. And I think that um, you know from everything I've read about uh, Judge Barrett, she's she's a very articulate. Um, defender of you know of faith and reason and mm-hmm. uh, and reason's place in the in the Catholic vision, um, mm-hmm. and so I mean, how amazing would it be to have those conversations, right? To sort of just reject this um, this will they won't they uh, tenor that marks so many of our judge and justice hearings, and rather have a conversation about why the Catholic faith is a reasonable uh, a reasonable belief for any holder of federal office to to hold and to cling to. And how that informs that person's life. That's not that's not going to be a bad thing. That would be a remarkable conversation, wouldn't it? And I think it points to the fact that our society suffers not from too much religion, but from not enough. And religion properly understood, you know, as a fusion of faith and reason, you know, which Catholicism has always upheld, you know, gives us a, a moral framework to look at um, our political life, our economic life, always with the dignity and life of every human person at the heart of that and as the absolute value of that. And that's where, you know, St. John Paul II's um, bold proclamations of human rights was, was so transformative across the globe. You know, so he was able to speak to communists in Poland, to the Marcuses in the Philippines, to the Duvaliers in Haiti perhaps to the wealthy and comfortable in the United States and lift up facets of the gospel that um, tend to be overlooked in ideology. So every ideology takes one good thing and absolutizes it to the um, detriment of looking at the whole. And I think the beauty of Catholicism is that there's always this integrated um, vision of all of reality you know, beautifully put together as God has designed it to be. And I guess I've never understood why, you know, we pay obeisance to science, you know, and say there's laws that govern the universe, there's laws that govern nature, but we can never understand or accept that there's laws that govern moral behavior. You know, that in the world of nature, there's laws. Why can't there be laws that, that govern us in terms of who we are and the gift we've received from God. Absolutely. I was just teaching an RCIA course at my parish last night, actually. And one of the topics I was speaking of is the problem of life's laws and how we have, we have physical laws like gravity, but we also have mm-hmm. these things called spiritual laws that I think even if we, we don't consciously recognize all the time, when we start talking about them, a lot of us can 
can recognize them at work in our lives, how we, we all operate under these spiritual laws, whether or not we consciously acknowledge it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think we, we've just become allergic to anything, any assertion of, of objective truth or of moral law. And you know, we, we've suffered profoundly because of that, that absence in the public square. Well, Bishop, I know that you have to get to your next appointment, so maybe it's just a final closing question. I'll wrap in two more things that I wanted to to get your take on. The first is, we've talked about this a little bit, right, but this tension between every Catholic as a, as a member of God's heavenly kingdom, uh, as a member of the mystical body of Christ, which is the church here on earth, and also as a member of his or her polity. And in the American context, we're all American mm-hmm. citizens. Uh, but elsewhere, most people across the world, the vast majority find themselves as members of some secular polity. So how do Christians balance, balance that tension? And to wrap this into, to the second question I wanted to ask you, what is a good scripture passage or a couple of good passages that come to mind for you when you're thinking about how to instruct people in reconciling and sort of living with or living, living in this tension? Yeah, those are great questions, Zach. I think to the first, I would say, from the beginning, uh, the Catholic Church has always insisted that part of our faith is being a good citizen. Yeah, so we've never been separatist. We've never tried to create a whole separate society away from the, the common polity. So the, our vision of faith is that, that faith transforms culture and that we are called to be 11 within the world. So we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, absolutely, but we're also citizens of the city of man, you know, as St. Augustine reflects in his seminal work. But we see there that you know, the city of man always has to serve the, the kingdom of God. And so, you know, we're, we're called to help form and shape, um, you know, the earthly city so that it ever becomes more profoundly reflective of you know, the, the mystery of God's kingdom and his love for us in a way that when we're sent forth at the end of mass, you know, ita misa est, you are sent. We're sent into the world to transform the world so that it more profoundly matches what we experience in the context of the Eucharist. So that what we experience in the Eucharist in terms of God's mercy, um, God's justice, God's love for us, that we carry that into the world and sanctify the world to match that reality. Um, scripture passages, I would say, you know, certainly, you know, the most easy one to reach for is, you know, give to God what is God's, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But I also think of, of the Beatitudes as a way for us to to live um, the beauty of God's life and love in the world. I think of Paul's great hymn of charity and what what true love looks like in, in its fusion to the truth. And I always think of Jesus' life, ministry, and preaching as a perfect fusion of truth and charity. And I love to say that truth without love becomes harsh and rigid. Love without truth becomes vacuous and kind of sentimental. When you put the two together, you have the firepower of the gospel. So I think in the end, as Christians were called to fuse love and truth, and to live the tension of that, but also the beautiful cohesion of that in the world. That's beautiful and well said, Bishop. And just for my listeners, the um, Paul's Paul's hymn of love, I believe uh, the bishop's referring to 1 Corinthians 13. So if you want to, to look at that, um, that's where you can find that. And uh, and Bishop, your, your comments about truth and love, 
so powerful uh, and so true. And it makes me think of a previous episode we've done on this podcast uh, in which we, we broke down and, and discussed uh, Benedict XVI's Caritas and Veritate. Uh, the point being in that whole encyclical that you cannot have truth without love and true love must subsist in truth if it is if it is mm-hmm. to be love at all. No, that's yeah, he articulated it so well because he articulated everything so sublimely, right? Yeah, what a gift to us. That's great. Well, thanks for having me on your show, Zach. I hope I can come back. I would be honored to do so. Absolutely, Bishop. No, I would I would love to have you back. Thanks for your time today. Uh, and God bless you. Thank you for your leadership in our church. Yeah, thank you. God bless you, Zach. Thank you, Bishop. Bishop.